Hey, everybody. It's Tanya from Recovering Church Girls, and I have with me a good friend that we were just admitting. Oh my gosh, it's been two years since we've seen each other. I can't believe that. Um, but still, I would like to be so bold as to consider you a good friend, Jingy, and I am so grateful that you are here. So, hi. Hi, Tanya. It's, uh, <laughs> it has been quite some time, and thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here and chatting with you, too. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so I'm so privileged to be able to get to know so many people from all sorts of walks of life and all different ways and it always cracks me up when they start in the wedding industry because you know this is where you and I both have uh, a bit of our foundation or at least for a good part of our careers and it amuses me greatly because there's so much work that we invest in who we are and building our business and taking care of our clients we don't always get to know the other aspects of people like just humans being humans we're in wedding mode we don't always get to see these different layers of people so it really just it's an added layer of like oh my gosh how fun when we get to have that so again thank you and I think that that's very interesting because it is so true that that when we are in the mode for whatever our, our line of work is, that you see people as their role is their persona, and that's not necessarily the case. But I, I do feel that being in the wedding industry, it has kind of opened up the doors for seeing even people that are our peers in different lights because we do kind of network together. Networking becomes more of friend gathering and friend gathering becomes more of an excuse that used to be networking. And then all of a sudden you're like full blown friends and you're like, I don't even do weddings anymore. Right, exactly. Which is, I love that progression. Um, and I, I can totally identify with that entire thing. I'm like, hmm, I thought I was retired as of last fall. And then I got, then I got a call from a lovely little bride who needed help and I jumped right back in again, but I'm not really doing it full time. You know what I mean? So it's kind of that, like, I caved is, is pretty much what happened. I was retired and, and now I'm semi-retired, I guess we, that's, we could say. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to come out of retirement for special people. Well, and I think there's a lot of us that do that too, that, you know, because it, it is so, it's just so all-encompassing. And I don't think you can be in the wedding industry and not really love what you do and who you work with and who you work for without having that level of passion and commitment and excellence and you know all of these things and then on the flip side it, it does require an awful lot out of you as well um and i'm kind of chuckling to myself because this isn't a wedding conversation and yet boy is this something we can really <laughs> sink our teeth into <laughs> yeah i think that's what happens is people divert to what is familiar and um common ground and you know you, you feel like there's some commonality in that but i found through the years that there's a lot of commonality in people that link us together in so many different ways and those are the things that i find a lot of excitement exploring so like but absolutely like those connections with the wedding industry though i will value i, I was in the industry and for over 20 years so it's a long investment in your life um absolutely but, but i you know i think that that's the case when you think about the connections we make as humans in general absolutely so, Absolutely. And that is a perfect segue because I love this idea of talking about the different facets of kind of who we are and the experiences that have led to creating who we are in this exact moment. And then also what we get to do with this moment that then shapes our future. So with that idea, you know, kind of give us a, a nutshell version. 
who are you? How does the idea of recovering church girl resonate with you? You know, what's, what's your story here, Jingy? <laughs> oh my God. That's such a, like opening a huge lot of, I don't know what, um, <laughs> I guess my story is so, I guess it's not that it's difficult for me to tell. It's that, that I feel that there are many chapters mm. that I could pull from that, that I could say, this is who I am. And it's not that I have, you know, maybe I do have multiple personalities. I'm not quite sure, but um, no, I, I guess if I had to tell you my story in a nutshell, I would say that I'm, I'm just a simple Island girl who was um, born to um, a mother in Taiwan and a military father. And I grew up in an environment where I never really lived in more than, uh, I guess in one place for more than two or three years at a time for the formative part of my life. So up until the time I was maybe 20 years old and I never really had any roots. My family, (laughs) yeah, my family dynamics. uh, I never grew up with this semblance of family in terms of the normalcy of what you would assume an American family to be like, where you would sit at the table and eat dinners or have customs or celebrations. And and I don't know if it was from being displaced that we never really established these core things, even communication, like talking to each other, like we, things that I see in so many of the families that I've documented through my life, I never experienced. So, so much of what I do, I think is vicariously to kind of show to people that this exists, that this is lovely, that you should cherish this. Um, And so I think that's a big source of inspiration. And and that's part of like who I am and what I felt that I lacked growing up. But uh, I guess that that would be in the nutshell, as far as, the core, but ultimately I'm just a simple girl who loves food. I love my friends. I love my poppies. I I think positivity and, you know, establishing that core group around you that, that you can do this uh, and foster these environments. And I try to do that in my work and in my life, no matter what it is. But yeah, my story is pretty simple. Traveled all over the world, learning life, culture. And then as soon as I settled down, which was around my mid twenties. And I lit, I lived in one place for, you know, the longest period of time that, um, I really discovered, I guess, who, who I wanted to be Mm. and who I wanted to be was somebody who was stable, somebody who could give her daughter, you know, stability of having friends from childhood through adulthood and, um, someone who could cultivate, I guess, these relationships either through my work or through my friendships. So, um, but yeah, I'm a food loving, <laughs> shit talking, <laughs> glasses half full looking uh, <laughs> person who, who, who just really at this point in my life is, is just looking to continue to follow my passions on a smaller level. I love that. And there's so much, first of all, I mean, like I knew that in the, you know, what maybe handful of times over the past five, six, seven years that we've known each other, we haven't crossed paths that often. But then every time we did, there was always that moment where I was like, I feel like there's something deeper here. Um, And just this idea of like, there's so many different things already just from this idea of, you know, kind of your broad brush strokes intro into who you are, um, that I'm like, yep, yep. 
yep, that one too. <laughs> and it just is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, I can identify with that. And yep, boy, that sounds familiar. And yeah, all, all the things. So what was, uh, what was your family like in terms of religion and spirituality? How were you impacted as a child in all of your moves? Because um, one of the things I'm really curious about, there aren't many people like us that moved as often as we did growing up. And it's something I'm still really, I'm peeling back all the layers to really understand how that's impacted me as an adult and what what elements of that serves me well. I'm really good at the name game. If you remember that, like in middle school, we used to play the mixer, the name game. I'm really good at people's names. I'm not necessarily really good at like, you know, the three week follow-up thing because I'm probably sure. gone in those three weeks already. Um, so yeah, how did, how did all of that affect you growing up and, and how did religion play a role in that? Well, my first uh, exposure to organized religion, I, I was probably six. Uh, I, I remember specifically that, and this is, this is kind of like an odd story because we were, my father was in the military, so I was born in Taiwan. And while we were gone, his family did not know where he was. He had a falling out with his parents and he re-enlisted and that's how he ended up staying and, you know, meeting my mother and, and my story began. But he was estranged from his family, so I had not even met my grandparents my entire childhood I, on my father's side. I lived in Taiwan, so I, I knew my maternal grandparents. So my father decided at some point, I, I, I think his sister found him. I think that they had been looking for him for years, and so they thought they had no idea where this man was. They wow. didn't know if he was yeah, they had no idea. Was he alive? Was he injured? He was in the military. You know, there are things going on. We're talking about the early 70s right now. So, mm -hmm. so somehow they reconnected and we went to go visit my grandparents who live in Connecticut. And I was about six and it was determined that none of us had been baptized. None of us had been christened, that there, this was a huge problem that this had to be taken care of, that the weekend that we were going to be there, that all we were going to do is we were going to make sure that these three children were christened and that they were Catholic. And th the only thing I knew about it was that we had to do all of these things. I had to wear this white dress. I'm like six. My brothers are, you know, they're, they're, we don't know who these people are. <laughs> wow. They're, they're like this, whole ceremony to me was in a completely different language and you know it was in Ukrainian and, and I, I had zero connection to it so all I knew was that it was a formality I had no, no idea as far as the spirituality or the connection to church or any of that so that was my very first experience was being christened nothing like you know throwing you right into the deep end or anything <laughs> no exactly I was like cool this is what we do. I wear this crown. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we can support the crown. The crown's not, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's all right. We can work with that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really odd. It was a trip that we took specifically to become acquainted with people that I still, you know, never really, even in my adult life, never really got the opportunity to learn or to, to be a part of their life the way that I really wanted to. Mm. And I don't know if it was distance or if it was just that that just wasn't our family dynamic. Hmm. 
Well, that's interesting. But yeah, but then we moved and I remember the next experience uh, that sticks out is we were in Guam. So now we're in a completely different island. Um, I'm about eight-ish, maybe nine years old around now. And uh, my father would send us, I guess my mom too, I always say my dad, but both parents. <laughs> we had summer and they would send us to this Bible study, this Bible camp. And I remember getting on a bus with my brothers and it would take about an hour to get to this camp. It was a day camp and we would go for, you know, day and then come back and we go the next day. And it was for like several weeks. And once again, I really didn't know why we were going or what we were doing, but it was nice to be part of a, you know, we sang songs and it was cool. And this may have been where things kind of went horribly bad for me with re religion. I guess initially going to this Bible school, I enjoyed the experience, but having a very limited, I guess, grasp of, grasp of the English knowledge or the, the language rather, I learned English in the States when I moved here that I took everything very literal. So when I asked like, we were in church and they, they were doing, you know, whatever sermon it was and people were getting up and they were asking only for the kids and they, they were going and they were being saved. Like that's the whole idea of it, but I had no idea or concept of it. So I asked like the person next to me, I was like, what are we doing? And they were like, Oh yeah, you go up front and you get, candy and kool-aid <laughs> i'm like candy and kool-aid why do you get candy and kool-aid it's for jesus and i was like you get candy and kool-aid for jesus what do you have to do and they're like you just have to tell them the bad stuff you did and i was like oh i can do this so i was like yes candy and kool-aid for jesus so um so yeah i did candy and kool-aid for jesus that week and i think they kicked me out of bible school they said that I couldn't be saved every single day, Chingy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, as, as a youngster, those pretty much were my main experiences as far as I, I really didn't realize, nor did I think that it was a believable or organized system that I felt compelled to put myself into wholeheartedly because I saw so much dysfunction mm. at an early age. Uh, I felt almost indoctrinated to come up and tell my woes to for Kool-Aid and for candy. And they did. And, you know, I, I get it now. It's a good way to get kids to come up and embrace, you know, maybe that humility or openness. But for me, um, it was just a way to get some, some good snacks, I guess. Yeah, some candy and some Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. Okay, yeah. so that's fascinating to me on a lot of different levels. I think um, one of the things that comes up often for those of us who were raised in the church was just this idea of we didn't know anything differently. And for those that have stayed in the church, there's this validation of the entire process because, you know, we, we train up the child in the way that they are to go. So when they're old, they won't depart from it. And then for those of us who have stepped a little further outside of that circle, we see things a little bit differently. And I think as a result, we parent very differently for those of us who have children. So what has that been like for you in the process of kind of comparing and contrasting your childhood with then that of your children? 
Well, I have one daughter um, and she's actually just turned 29. So she's a woman. She's so she's she's no longer a child, but it really did affect the way that I parented. I, I feel that I did almost everything exactly exactly the opposite. So being being a first time, you know, mom, I'm sure we we all make those mistakes. And I don't I can't say that they're mistakes because I've actually been able to come out on the other side of that hobbit hole and to see kind of the woman that she's become mm. and to see the effects that that it has brought. So I want to say officially that there are no mistakes, that you can't make mistakes, that we're all in this together that we're all learning that one of the things that like she understands and that I have always made very apparent with her is that line of communication has to be open and it has to be strong. And that's one thing I didn't have growing up. And that's one thing that, that I 100% wanted to make sure of is that she knew that nothing was off the table that could be spoken about because there's no shame in anything mm. that that is happening in your life that the shame would be that I don't know about it as your mom that you feel that you can't come to me about it so i guess being kind of in a closed family in a very closed environment i've become very open with that internally as far as with with raising kristen also as far as spirituality goes i never have forced any kind of uh, organized religion on her and I've tried more so to teach her the spirituality of life mm. and the morality of making decisions based on this internal you know morality that you have based on what you know is inherently to be good and that that religion really is this system based on that in itself is that do we not just want to be good people? Hmm. Is that not what we want in life is to go out and to be good and to do good and to receive that back? So whether people do it in 15 different ways, it's okay as long as the commonality is, is that the end result is that you're being a nice fucking human. That's, <laughs> that's what it is. So, you know, it. <laughs> yeah, that's how it's impacted me the most is to take what I've learned from, from Catholicism, to take what I've learned from from you know Baptist to take what I've learned from Jewish religions to take what I've learned from being exposed to so many different types of things and to pick and kind of choose what I think are really great things mm. because I don't think religion is bad I, I think that that also is a club of commonality and it's it's hope and you know if you're using it do good then I'm 100% for it. So that is how it's shaped the way that I have definitely chosen to live my life and to raise, you know, my daughter. We, I didn't send her to Bible study. I, I, you know, she, she did participate in core things. I did not make it the driving force of our lives. Like I let, I want to say I let the universe be her teacher. You know, we traveled, I exposed her to cultures, I exposed her to literature, I exposed her to music, I exposed her to all different walks of life from very early so that she could see and kind of learn that life is not what you see in this bubble mm -hmm. and there are more options than, than what you see here because she didn't have the benefit of traveling the way that I did. So I felt like I, that's, that's 
how I had to shape her knowledge. And I absolutely love that. And I feel like that is such a gift that you've given her and frankly, anyone else that knows her because there's something that happens. Now, granted, I will always get up on my soapbox about the power of travel and just that idea of intentionally exposing yourself to somewhere new, someone new, something new to, you know, get out of your own way and assume that, you know, all the answers or, you know, whatever the case might be. I don't think there's anything else that is as powerful as travel to connect people to people. At the end of the day, you know, we can drop all the pretenses. We can drop all of the exclusionary clubs that, well, I believe this, or this is, you know, a label that I adhere to. At the end of the day, we're just people. And to be able to find each other in those moments, that's the kind of stuff that lights me up. And to kind of bring it full circle back to weddings, so many wedding industry professionals that I've talked to, this is one of the things that we actually really appreciate, but we don't ever get to talk about it as much. But because we are with people from all different walks of life, all different nationalities and ethnicities, and you've got different traditional elements that are coming into play, we get to experience a beautiful moment in a couple's life from multiple different kinds of perspectives. So that's yet another way that I, I think we get to travel without leaving our job even much less leaving oh, home. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I really think that the, the three best teachers, you know, for myself are travel and food and stories. Mm. So like those are three things that connect. And, and I think that's why I've really gravitated towards those aspects of things, no matter what I do, whether I'm documenting or, or chatting or, or doing any other aspect of any profession that I choose to do, those three things are always going to be part of it is the conversation the that are triggered through the stories and the places that we've been to the food that triggers the tastes and the smells and the experiences and the places, the places and the people that touch your hearts along the way that you've just are going to be forever impacted because of random people who you've come across in places that you never thought that you would be. So those are like the things that I think that people don't really get if they don't leave their bubble. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of the bubble, what has your experience been like that from even a a local perspective of, you know, is this where you've chosen now to be home or do you feel like there's still this piece of you, you know, do you still have the wanderlust? I know you and your wife go on some amazing adventures and I'm always watching like every time you guys are like, okay, we're going here. And I'm like, yes, because I get to live vicariously through all your pictures, (laughs) except for the food pictures. That's like not even fair, but you know, so how does that work for you now? You know, kind of in this like grown ass adult stage, um, you still obviously get fed by travel and you have roots here. So how do you balance the two? Well, I, I feel wanderlust. She pulls at my hairs and I have to listen to her. She's very strong. She's like, (laughs) she whispers, you know what she says. She Mm -hmm. says, come with me. It's going to be great. And you're like, okay. And it is. (laughs) That's my arm. (laughs) I know. You're like, okay, go see the world. Um, I'll always have that because I'm very thankful for about being born into a military family. Number one, you know, I, I have a strong sense of service and I can appreciate what 
what we have here as Americans, um, to being able to travel all over the place and see these things and places is such such a joy. And that, that as an adult, I can say, wow, I, I really had this magical experience growing up. Um, but as far as roots go, I always thought that the East Coast, you know, I had set up roots, but Wanderlust said no. And so this is actually a little breaking announcement here that I have been in the Philadelphia area for some time now, and this is probably going to be my last year, year and a half here in this market because Wanderlust is calling and home base now is going to be on the West Coast um, in another year, year and a half because wow. the areas that... I know. I haven't actually said that out loud, Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, like uh, I'm going to be moving home base. But what I found is that um, I've embraced the lifestyle of being a digital nomad. Mm -hmm. So I, I love the fact that my work allows me to be remote and I can pretty much live and work in any, any place that I choose, but having a home base is super important. And as much as I love Philadelphia, Philadelphia has my heart. I will, I mean, it's probably one of my top five cities in the world, but it's time. It's time to, to move home base and, and to, to go on. And I really want to be, I, I, like I said earlier, I was born in an island. I'm going to be an island girl. I'll probably get <laughs> going to die an island girl. So my vacation, you know, destination, like places that I love, are more accessible on the West Coast. So like, I love Maui. I, I love to spend more time there. I love Hawaii in general and um, just makes travel much easier. And as far as the rest of the Wanderlust, she is still calling and I will be flying out Wednesday. So I'll be going to Brighton, <laughs> Brighton, England and London for a few weeks, uh, but then we'll be back. So you'll get to see some, some nice, uh, I guess, European images in a few weeks. <laughs> that, that sounds lovely. My daughter and I were literally just sitting yesterday. Uh, there's a lovely little independent cheese shop not far from us that we finally stopped into. Uh, and we got to relive some of our favorite experiences from when we were in Europe in the fall. And we just kind of looked at each other. We're like, so basically what we need to do is we need to get back and we need to get some brown bread from Ireland and we need to get some cheese from Holland and we need to get some bread from France. And while we're in France, we might as well get a croissant or two. And so we're just kind of like listing all of our foods and we're like, yeah, we might just have to go back just to eat. <laughs> well, it's different. The, the, I, Gluten didn't affect me. I'm very sensitive to gluten because I have an autoimmune disease or skin disorder called psoriasis and it's triggered by gluten. But when I was in Paris, I ate so many croissant and <laughs> bread and not a single trigger whatsoever. Isn't that fascinating? We had the same experience. So it was like, okay, just the quality of the food is so much better that we can eat it without having the same kind of symptoms that we have here. Yeah, I found things to be much fresher. Uh, there wasn't a necessity to put organic versus non-organic, I'm assuming, because there maybe are not as many regulations, you know, or there's more regulations. I'm not sure. But but yeah, the bread was fantastic. And the butter, oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about the butter. <laughs> You're so right. You're so right. But you know what, even moments like this, you know, kind of what I was saying earlier about the idea of 
I feel such a kindredness with you in so many different ways, but even especially knowing that we both moved as often as we did when we were young, you know, I, I moved 16 times before I graduated high school. Not many people have that kind of, you know, consistency in the movement and in the dislocation and relocation. It does something different, not not wrong, not better, but just different than what we've come to expect as the standard experience. And so even then, you know, swapping food stories about travels, it's again just another element of being able to to have another point of connection. And I'm really grateful for that. Oh, I agree. I agree 100%. You never know, like when you look at someone and you meet them in a certain context, like what is beneath that surface. And the surface is just that that armor that you wear that you want to show to the outside world. But once you start finding these little, getting into the little nooks and crannies of, of someone's mind or their experiences or their heart, it, it's so much nicer to be able to know something real about them mm. or, or to know something about this is potentially why it is that they they are this open or this closed and it's funny because well it's not funny at all it's kind of sad i have two younger brothers and our experiences are entirely different when it comes to travel the three of us all experienced the same places but we didn't have the same experience of that feeling of love for that i don't feel as if they loved it as much they instead of embracing and going outwards each place like for me i had a system we would move okay great i would get on my bicycle i would go get the lay of the land i would <laughs> see who's around i would go make friends like by the time the first day hit I was unpacked because it was systematic. Everything went into a box specifically labeled exactly where it was. And when it was unpacked, it just came out exactly the way you wanted it. And so I was unpacked within hours. Like I was a pro because my goal was go out, conquer the neighborhood, find your friends, find your people, and then move on. Like you have to just move on. You can't dwell on who you left behind. You can't dwell on what you left behind. It's gone. It's just gone. Like, it was the finality of things for me. Whereas my brothers would, they, of course I missed my friends, but we would write. Mm -hmm. Back then there was no internet. There wasn't any of that stuff. And at some point in time, you just kind of, it fizzled out too. And then you just made new friends, but it really made me the type of person that, and I think for you too, Tanya, is that when you engage with people, you know, you know that those first five, 10 minutes, it's very important to kind of gauge who it is that you're dealing with because when we have a limited of time in this space then mm -hmm. you want to maximize whatever time that is with the people the right people like you don't want to spend your time two years wasted with people who don't care about you so like I feel like I'm a fairly good judge of character within a few minutes of meeting somebody mm. yeah I think that's definitely a skill set that you develop almost, you know, partly from self-preservation, but then partly just from repetition when you move as often as we do. Uh, and I'm always grateful for that. And I love something you said earlier about the idea of there not being any mistakes. That has been a, a big piece for me in 
just giving myself grace, but also my parents and, you know, the ways in which I was raised to be able to say, you know what, we made the best decision, whether that was collectively or individually with the information we had in that moment. And then we got new information and it's completely okay to make a new decision based on that new information. And it could just be an extra few minutes of conversation and you get that gut check of like, oh, wait, that was, that was an off-color joke that I don't appreciate. That means that there's probably a different value system at play here or, you know, whatever the case might be, but just to have that level of attention to detail when you are meeting someone and getting a chance to really know what makes them tick. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that the whole no mistakes thing has to get carried on, not just, you know, for, for family, but like you said, for people that you meet too, because in the end, we are all just the same. Like people don't realize how like the sameness that we all share internally when it comes to fears or, you know, social anxieties. Like it's, we've become a very anxious nation of people mm. who are just overtly worry words about how we're perceived, who's watching, who's listening. And, and, you know, it's not that deep. We just have to give people a pass sometime and know that we're all just out here just trying to make it. We're just trying to not sound like assholes when you talk to people, you know, not just, just try to be nice and make friends. And, and like, well, I, I guess most people are like, there are some just dirty assholes out there that, that they just mean people. They're always going to be, but they are, but there are also so, so many fewer of them than I think we, we tend to think it's, it's far too easy to assume that nine out of the 10 people that you're going to cross paths with on the street are the mean guys or the bad guys. When in reality, you know, if one out of 10, I would even be shocked. Yeah. I, in my day-to-day -day life, I can't even say like I encounter even one a day. It's, it's, I think circumstance, I think people live on highs and lows. So mm -hmm. you remember the things that, that upset you the most. You remember the things that bring you the most joy. Most people don't say, oh yeah, I had this moderately okay day with this, <laughs> with this, you know, just okay meal. Like nobody talks about that stuff. So we have a tendency to remember these highs and these lows. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it reminds me um, something that had just happened or that I revisited, I should say this week, thinking about the first time that I went downtown um, Christmas time with my kids specifically to make some deliveries for the homeless. And it was the first time the kids were coming with me. It was one of those things where, you know, when it was just me, it was a little bit easier because I might be a little uncomfortable. I might be awkward. I might know, not know what to say or how to say or how to offer help or just listen or anything. Like, where do you find the line of trying to be helpful, but wanting to really appreciate and respect the dignity and just, you know, all of these things. Cause I've been told things my entire life about, oh, the bums on the street or whatever the case might be. But to your point just a minute ago about there's so many circumstances that come into play. And when you change any combination of those circumstances, you're changing everything about how that person has the ability to show up in that moment. And taking the kids with me, I remember this moment of the like their eyes on me. I could feel them watching my every move and you know, like the, the micro moves of my face or, you know, whatever the case might be. And I realized that 
they didn't really know how to show up in that moment. So they were looking to me to be the one to guide them. So we actually kind of pulled over to the side for a second and had a little powwow. I was like, you guys, I don't know what to expect. Like, we're just, we are in this together and we just, we just want to, to your point earlier, we just want to be good people and we just want to help where we can. And if that means that we're passing out scarves and candy canes tonight and we just get to make somebody smile and Honestly, when we let ourselves smile because we're making a connection with someone, like it's not, we got way more out of that time being with everybody than, you know, we could have possibly given, I think, in that moment. So it's just so interesting to kind of set aside those ideas of what we think we need to be in order to be that good person. Yeah, I, I think that one thing I've learned as, um, someone who documents lives is that you you do have to show up and be in these spaces and you just have to be open enough to let the moment speak for itself and to bring the energy that that you want into that situation just bring as open of an energy as you can because i think that's all anybody wants is to to have the space to to have still some semblance of dignity for their life and in moments that, especially dealing with people that have tragedies or homelessness or, or any types of issues that are going on, is just to have the openness of, of that space and to know that the ego doesn't doesn't belong here. So the, the, the ego of being a parent, the ego of anything, like I, I hope that we're past the day and age of because I said so. Because <laughs> that, that's not an adequate response um, for a parent or anything. And I love what you did with the kids pulling aside and saying, you know, Hey, I don't have all the answers. So what should we do? Because it empowers them to know that like imperfection exists and that is perfectly acceptable. Like there's no perfection. People who want to be a perfect person are never going to achieve that. You know, I, I was unfortunately raised under this iron thumb of, 99% is not good enough. I don't care if you made the honor roll, you could have done extra and you could have done this, you could have done. And so like, I think that day and age should be done. I think that we should be able to say to our kids, we don't know everything. Yeah. I need your help. I need you to weigh in on this. Tell me how you feel. I, I think that we give too much credit to age as far as age being directly equivalent to knowledge. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I would go so far as to say, if age is to knowledge, then youth is to wisdom. Like the right. exact, you know, there's some, some deeper connection that they have a far easier access to. <laughs> and if we know so much, why are we always chasing our inner child? Like, come on. <laughs> I love that. Yep. Yep. That sums it up right there. Oh my goodness. Uh, this has just been, I knew this was going to be such a fun conversation. Um, and I have to say, I am so grateful for it. Uh, so Chingy, thank you again. Just all these, all these pieces that we get to share together. I'm grateful. No, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Like I, I had, you know, it, it's nice to be able to chit chat and catch up. And also to, like you said, like I feel such a connection and, and kindred spirit towards you. And I also do live so vicariously through your endeavors and, and it's, it's so great to see the wonderful things that you're doing for um, the Single Parent Summit and your podcast and having this collective that connects people together. Like I can't 
speak enough on how wonderful that is to be able to build a connection and bring people together and have a source or a resource that people can listen to or talk and just connect with and, and know that there's commonality in, in other people around the world and that they're not alone in doing or experiencing things. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I love how you you refer to your work as documenting people and documenting stories, because that's something that I resonate so deeply with. And that's really even the idea of, of the podcast itself is, you know, finding ourselves in each other's stories and that life does not have to be what we were told to expect or told to believe, but we have the freedom to make the choices that line up with each of us individually. And we can share that experience together, but it doesn't have to be at the, the price of conformity over individuality. Yeah. Yeah. And I've chosen now that I've kind of segued from the wedding industry is, is that I curate experiences. And when, when I do that, they are sometimes food experience Sometimes it's a multimedia experience. I do uh, long-term video projects with my, my clients. I call them a year in the life because there's a lot of things that go on. But as far as food, you know, and things too, like I, I curate food experiences because I believe wholeheartedly throughout my travels that my connection to the stories and to the places are born and bred in the sharing of these these special things. And so by gathering different people together and sharing these foods from around the world and, and having pop-ups and creating, you know, a, a place to bring people together from all aspects of life to sit at a table and to share their life and to connect. It's a beautiful thing. And, you know, those are things that I think that, that we lost, like back in the day, people used to have dinner parties all the time. That's what you yeah. did. And so now like I'm kind of revamping that and bringing that back into things and, and as part of my storytelling and documentation. So there's a world of things that you can do when it comes to using your talents and your passions. You just have to know there's no ceiling and you can kind of make up whatever you want as, you know, <laughs> business professionals. We've kind of learned that like you, you, you form a business in your mind and then, then you, you make it and transition it into a reality. And if people don't like it, they don't have to run your business. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Um, okay. So we'll need to have another conversation about the role of entrepreneurship and kind of this co-creative thing that we get to do with the universe because we're entrepreneurs and that whole because there's a whole nother rabbit trail oh, yes. that we could go down on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. And I would love to invite you to one of my secret tables and we'll do a pop-up little. Pop -up. Oh, did you see me? I was like getting goosebumps as you were talking about that. I'm like, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. So much fun. So much fun. Well, Chingy, thank you so, so very much. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for your time and just for you sharing a little bit of who you are with us. So thank you. Well, thanks for asking. Absolutely. Well, for you guys who are listening, we'll be back again next Sunday with another episode uh, and we will see you guys very, very soon. Bye-bye.